I thought I'd kick off uh, 2022 with some reflection back on 2021 in terms of uh, podcast episodes. Uh, last year was the year that I actually launched the podcast finally, uh, and I'm really glad I have, and I'm enjoying doing the uh, the episodes for you. And if you have some suggestions around how you would uh, like the podcast to progress over 2022 or some ideas on topics or guests, I would love to hear from you. You're listening to the REI Branded Podcast, helping you build your real estate personal buyer. If you want to stand out from the crowd, attract the right leads, right partners, and right clients every time, you're in the right place. My name is Paul Copcut, and each week we'll be looking to decode and uncover what makes you, the real estate business owner, brandtastic. Each episode is intended to be valuable, cut to the chase, and actionable, so you can spend less time marketing your business and still get the results you want. Thank you for listening. Now let's get to work on making you brandtastic. Okay, so let's take a look back at uh, what were the most popular episodes of 2021 and also three that I think uh, will continue to become even more popular as the downloads increase on it and people go back and find these episodes. So there's three that I, I'm going to give you the top five episodes in terms of the most listened to ones. And then I'm going to give you three that I suggest you uh, also check in and uh, and take a listen to. So the top episode, uh, most listened to episode last year for the REI branded podcast was actually my, the interview with my brother uh, about the uh, kind of reflections of corporate branding and how that could apply to your real estate investing business. Um, so that's actually episode number three uh, with Richard Copcut. And uh, here's some uh, here's some excerpts from that interview. So you mentioned the one pa- one pager. If if a real estate investor was going to pull pull together a one pager, which I think is a great idea, what sort of things would you put on that one pager? What should they be thinking about putting on that one pager? Uh, so I typically have built these literally on a PowerPoint using shapes because I like the idea of the structure of, sh- of building it like a house. So that it- Visually, it has some solidity to it. And usually the roof is a, a vision. The kind of insulation on the roof, if you like, is a is a mission. You'll then have pillars, which would be your strategic imperative. So you might have three, four things that you're trying to achieve, which I would call the strategic Im- imperatives. And then you get into the foundations, which might be the enablers. What is it you're going to have that you must have in order to execute this plan. And then you might have some values at the bottom, some, you know, some personal values, for example, about the way that you conduct business or what your business stands for and what have you. So it's clear you've got, again, to recap, looking at a house from the way down, vision, mission, strategic imperatives, enablers, and then values. And so I think that way, if you're communicating to somebody about your business or about what you're trying to achieve, I don't think I've got one to hand that I could kind of hold up at the screen and show you. <laughs> if it helps, I could probably send you uh, something or whatever. Yeah, send me one and I can include it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I, and I've used that. It's a very simple um, kind of graphic and super easy to follow. And I've used that. I probably learned that at Nike, in fairness. So I don't remember doing that at PepsiCo, but 
from Nike onwards in all the companies I've worked in, regardless of industry, the, the business I'm in right now is not in sports fashion. It's in a totally different business. Um, but I use it there with the commercial team exactly the same reason and it, and people quite like it right? most people like to have a plan they like to know what we're trying to achieve here and if it's super easy to follow and, and lay it out then it, it works well i think visuals are always so powerful totally agree yeah right. for sure okay so what about um what about you and and your kind of favorite brands what uh, what brands would you kind of hold up there and as kind of great brands and why that you love <laughs> that's a good question i well let me pick from the industries that i've worked in i worked at levi's which hand down hands down is the coolest brand i've worked for bar none mm. uh, the greatest heritage of any brand that i've seen they invented something that everyone has copied never really been beaten or updated per se as in you know a pair of denim jeans and what have you and lots of brands spend a lot of money and a lot of time trying to make out their cool or they can show you a picture of somebody famous that wore their product once upon a time or whatever i can guarantee you levi's can trump whatever picture you've got because they've got a picture of everybody at any time wearing levi's so i have a lot of time for them and I'm really excited about the way that brand has has resurrected and seems to be on another great trajectory now. Um, and they've done some really interesting things, I think, as a brand in terms of innovation. If I look at uh, going back a few years when they kind of did that whole commuter series, when they just chose their target consumer as the, the bike messengers in New York and built an entire range based on that and added a whole new dynamic to their business and obviously the ripples they cause throughout industry. Just spectacular. So I have a lot of time for Levi's as a brand, you know, respecting their heritage, but they're constantly moving forwards for sure. Uh, I have a lot of admiration for Ralph Lauren. I know that as a business that is hurting, as many businesses are, but I have never seen a brand do a better job of segmenting their product line in terms of going from purple label at the very top, right the way down through Polo, uh, through RLX, et cetera, all the way down through Chaps as a kind of entry into their brand, let alone all the, the homewares and what that brand stands for. Their ability to withstand counterfeit, which, I mean, they've been counterfeited to death, but still maintains a, an air of premium. I just think that's a spectacular brand. And I, their product is always, anything that I've owned from Ralph Lauren is great quality, positioned really well, and just a super brand, I think. I have to say I'm a huge fan of that. Um, what other brands? I've become recently, I've got into watches. This is, uh, it's a, I'm very late to the party with watches because for years I never wore a watch. And then I started, a friend of mine is really into them. So then I, I got into them. So that's a really interesting industry, I think, the watch industry. And there's obviously major players. Everyone will have their own favourite therein. Um, but it's quite interesting the way that different brands position themselves, either literally with the product they offer or how they present themselves. 
Um, it's super easy to say Rolex, and they obviously do an amazing job of brand positioning. But there's also amazing brands to look and admire with the way that they go to market. I, th- I think within within that industry. So without it's interesting, boring- it's interesting to see watches come back, isn't it? Because you know we've all got these, so why do we need a watch? And yet, yeah, it's 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 a whole different. S- symbol it's saying something different isn't it that's yeah for sure and watches for different occasions and wearing watches just purely from a color scheme or to your point what do they say about you and again the innovation and the craftsmanship and i think people have ended up being slightly nervous about being such a slave to a phone etc and so whether it's the element of show or a little bit of jewelry and a bit of peacock feathery maybe for a guy or whatever to to wear a watch um yeah so i i've lived a life in the branded world right. so it's super easy for me to rattle off loads and loads of brands i'm sure you don't need that but let me, yeah there's a there's a few okay. going on what about um recommended business book <laughs> uh i actually don't read uh say many i might even say any i'm not a huge fan of business books personally which probably says more about me than it does about (laughs) the business book my preferred way of learning is either like observing on the job learning etc or something more bite size than wading through a book so i i can't sit here and give you the name of okay. my favorite what would be book. what would be bite size what do you what do you like something like harvard business review i think that's super okay. easy to, to dive in and out of and and you'll you know you'll you'll see a little snippet from that that you're like oh, okay pod, podcasts are way easier for me to digest if if i'm commuting for example or traveling then I, I prefer to listen than have my head buried in a book. When I, when I travel on the tube, I'm always fascinated. I don't look at my phone when I'm on the tube. My my preference is to keep my head up and observe people, generally what they're wearing and you know what they're up to and whatever else, right. rather than having my head buried in a phone or buried in a book. That's just mm. that's me. So okay, um, favorite tool or resource? doesn't have to be business related might be something completely different. <laughs> um, that's a good question too i actually i've got a pen and an ink pen and pencil set that i really like really like and because i'm a slave to brands everyone will already guess what it is so i won't embarrass either me or anybody else it, these were expensive, but I really like them. I like the craftsmanship of them. I like writing with them. I like the fact there's a slightly old school feel to it. And many, many, many times in my career, I've left personal notes for people. You know, often when I was running sales meetings, for example, I might have in excess of a hundred people at the sales meeting. So I would lock myself away in a room the night before and handwrite over a hundred notes to people to say, wow. looking wow. forward to working with you this week or looking forward to you securing this deal with that client or whatever it is, but always handwritten with this pen 
And I didn't see it as a, a, a chore. I saw it as a labour of love and a kind of personal communication to people so that when they maybe open that envelope, we might have done a room drop beforehand or maybe it was handed out with a, bro- with a catalogue or something like that. People could say, hey, fair play, I'm not just here as a number. I, there's a little bit of thought that's gone into mm. that. And I so love that. I love that. old school. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm old, right? So therefore... I do. I'm into old school things, um, so I'm, I'm, I might pick my my fountain pen and my pencil. Interesting. I had a client like that. He was in the tech industry, and everybody was in meetings on you know iPads or whatever. And he purposely used to go into meetings with a moleskin and a Mont Blanc fountain pen. Yeah, and, it, and people will be going trying to get the meeting moving you go well hang on a minute i just needed to ask this question i need to make a note of that and he used it purposely to slow meetings down instead of people just rushing to make decisions when he he said he needed more thinking time in the meeting so it's true yeah nice. so that i don't have the moleskin but i do have the pen so i'm halfway okay <laughs> okay so the uh, the second most listened to uh, podcast episode uh, was with my guests Sarah Eda and uh, Chris Murray of Yellow Door Properties. They were some clients that I did some work with helping them uh, launch their brand. Um, so we did some great work around uh, kind of coming up with a name and then logo and look and website and some strategies, marketing strategies around getting the business started. And that was the second most listened to uh, podcast episode of 2021 and here's an excerpt from that uh, episode um well we're definitely picking like a multi-pronged approach um again chris and i have like a lot of experience doing this in other aspects of real estate so we kind of already had a sense of like what works what doesn't work and i think like for this type of thing it, it requires just really being mobile and diverse when it comes to marketing. And again, because we really want to stand out, uh, we want to do some pretty cool stuff. I mean, we do, we're doing the standard hard mailers, you know, going out and things like that, but we're also really increasing, increasing our social media presence, doing a lot of video, uh, just trying to get a lot of like engagement in the community. Um, and we have a few cool things up our sleeves. We'll definitely be doing uh, in the community itself to, to definitely stand out more. But we're really just like, um, I guess the best term would be like guerrilla marketing. Like we're really just trying to get on like that community level, you know, the like lawn signs and just get spotted um, when when we're out or when people are kind of out and about. And then, of course, like a, a pretty diverse um, social media and like ad strategy as well. What's um what's the plan kind of longer term? Where where does Yellow Door go from Welland and St Catharines? What's the? I mean, hopefully province wide. <laughs> that would definitely right. be the goal, and I think Chris and I definitely want to do some bigger stuff too, right, Chris? For sure, for sure, for sure. Bigger so development, any, any, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So, any tips or strategies that uh, are not obviously wanting to give away all your secrets? Because if you're doing <laughs> if you're doing neat different stuff, but what are the sort of things that a new or newer investor or or perhaps investors starting a new business should be thinking about? What are the important things that you... And so I think one the biggest thing that we were trying to, to attain is a brand of trust, right? Again, touching base on, you know, working in small, small communities, one little thing can set the whole, <laughs> the whole thing astray, right? So... Right. You know, we kind of started backwards a little bit in terms of this is what we want to attain. How do we attain it? 
Um, and we just want to be a full solution-based company with regards to real estate. So if you need advice or direction on certain um, real estate queries, you know, we, we want to be there for you. And I really think like that's what like new investors need to focus on. You know, it's like if you don't have a huge track record, you have trust, you have a reputation. Like that's really the only thing you can really, really go on. So for people just getting started out, don't forget that like building that brand, building that reputation is everything. Otherwise, like whether it's like money partners or finding deals, you need that credibility. And and what about... um you know, kind of expectations, because I think uh, you know, a lot of people get into this and kind of think it's all going to happen overnight. And, you know, you're going to find your first property a week later and you're going to do this. So what, what advice do you have in terms of um, building that brand? Yeah, so realistically, I think most people that get into wholesaling think, you know, okay, well, I'll send out um, some flyers and, you know, I'll be able to at least pick up one deal. And I think that that's, that's a lot further from the truth. And um, I think that's what Sarah and I realized the most is it is a long-term game. It is not a short-term overnight success. Um, you know, we are expecting three to six months to really kind of have a, a hold in the areas that we're we're um, marketing. So, you know, definitely do not come into this game thinking that it's going to be an overnight success. We have heard a few cases where some people have, um, you know, been lucky, but um, you know, it is a long-term thing. Yeah. And persistence is key. Like, you know, it's one of those things sometimes with just like with any marketing strategy, you can't guarantee like what campaigns are going to be the most effective or when you're going to get a deal that month, that day, a lot of it, unfortunately does come down to right place, right time. And that's luck, but also just being consistent. If you try a few things, it doesn't work. And then you give up you know, you're never going to see success. It's like, you know, you have to just keep kind of going at it month by month by month and really just focus in on, on the best strategies and, and not give up. Yeah. And so, and, and so that's a good point around yeah, consistency, clarity and consistency. So what, what about things that people shouldn't be doing? So probably trying something once and then moving on because it didn't get the result you expected, but what, what else should uh, investors be thinking about? Not doing what everybody else is doing. Like, I think that's like our whole story, right? Is right. that like, we're trying to not reinvent the wheel. We use a lot of the same principles, but we're trying to like think outside the box when you're in such a hot market, like we're in right now and such a saturated market, you know, not to say that you shouldn't emulate what other people are doing, but if everyone's doing the same thing and nobody's getting results and it's just the same thing again and again, I think at the end of the day, like, don't be afraid to, to think outside the the box, do things a bit more creatively, establish a, a different type of brand, a different way for people to like, you know, uh, uh, interact with real estate professionals. I think you'll, you'll stand out from the crowd. It'll be a little more, more successful. Yeah. And what about partnerships? What about trying to build relationships or collaborate with others? You mentioned obviously not to rely on people to find the properties for you, but what what things could people be doing? 
Oh, yeah. I think that um, for the most part, um, yeah, like partnerships are so important. And again, Chris and I, we learned that so, so early on in doing this, that just trying to go it alone, it's so hard, you know, um, whether it's like our partnership, I mean, we have to keep each other accountable. Uh, we have like lots of like team meetings, like making sure that we're both doing our part in the the team. But at the same time, you know, we have to leverage so many connections within the network to be successful too. Like appraisers, contractors, realtors, like, you know, all of these different people, they're not only becoming uh, deal sources, but they help our business become like more streamlined, more efficient. They help our team be more successful. So I think for anyone going into this, um, that should be a huge focus and a huge priority in the beginning is create that network, create that power team. I know we say that so often, it's like such an overused buzz term, but it's so, so true. Like without that power team, I mean, you, you can't succeed. You can't grow. Yeah. What about, uh, your own, apart from yellow door, what about your own favorite brands? What's, uh, what's a favorite brand of yours and, and why? <clears throat> Yeah, so I think um, some of the concepts, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a Nike hat right now. But, <laughs> um, you know, I just love a simple, clean logo and brand that is just able to stand out. And I think, you know, a brand as Nike is just, you know, a simple little check mark, but, you know, everybody knows it. And I think that's what we liked about Yellow Door is that it's it's a name to remember. It's not, you know, in one ear and out the other. Um, and then I think color has quite a bit of remembrance as well with, with branding. Absolutely. You know, it's actually so funny because I had to think about this for a second of like, what are actually my favorite brands for a variety of reasons? And I, um, I've been a Samsung user, like a devoted Android user for over a decade. Um, and everyone thinks I'm, you know, I, I don't have a Mac. Well, I didn't have a Mac, did not have an iPhone, never even owned an iPod. I was like really anti-Apple, but um, I studied marketing in school. And whenever I bring up examples of marketing, it's funny because I always bring up Apple. And it's funny because now I, oh, I just bought a MacBook last year because my PC died for like the third time. Um, I love my Mac more than I can ever described to you. And now I'm getting an iPhone this summer. And, uh, it's funny. Like I get it now. Like I get the buzz, like not just about the, like the products are obviously great, but I mean, you have to give them credit for the, the marketing. Like Chris said, I like a clean, simplistic brand that where like the reputation kind of speaks for itself. They don't need gimmicks. They don't need fancy product packaging. They don't need all this like flair. I mean, like, I think Apple has one of the most distinctive, but simplistic brands out there and the whole thing is seamless like from the store to the logo to everything like it all just like feels the same like what you're getting um and i love that that's like really what we're trying to achieve with yellow door want you to see the door and like get that okay this is what we're going to get when we work with yellow door and and also the underlying importance that you you stressed earlier about you know you want to be no you want to be trusted you want to be the go-to brand so it's 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 not obviously just the logo and the color. It's also, are you delivering on the promise that you've made, which Nike does, which Apple does. And I mean, even Samsung does. So absolutely. Okay. What about favorite uh, or any recommended, it doesn't need to be your favorite ever, but recommended books or podcasts that, uh, you know, could be real estate related, could be other. 
That's a good one. I mean, you know what? I'll share a book that I'm reading right now because I think, you know, it's relevant what we're, you know, reading in the moment. It's actually not real estate related at all. Um, it's a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. And it was recommended to me by another real estate investor who's very high level. Um, and it is basically like a whole uh, book on operation systems. So for people that want to scale and it, it, it's not like, again, real estate specific, you can just apply it to really any type of small business or growing business. It's just like a really neat, um, like it's actually a system, um, of how to structure, um, different like roles within your business and streamline operations. And yeah, it's, it's really good. I'm enjoying it right now. Okay. And the third most popular episode, um, in terms of guests for 2021 was my interview with Brooke Shang. Uh, Brooke is uh, a mother, real estate investor. Um, very interesting. She had some great suggestions and insights on mindset. And uh, this was the third most popular episode of 2021. And here's an excerpt from that. You're absolutely right. It, and, and that can work for you or it can really work against you if you're doing, if you've built mm -hmm. a a bad reputation. Exactly. Do you see that? Do you see that being even more important as we see what will probably be eventually some kind of switch in the market or slowing down of the market, or or do you not see the market slowing down or or changing? I've been in real estate investing seriously in uh, in the past so four or five years now. I think we're lucky. Mm -hmm. In general, the market kept going up. But I've also seen markets slowing down. I think as an investor, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Switch your strategy or pivot. We always say pivot as you go. That doesn't mean we cannot invest anymore. You just invest in different things. Your strategies have to change. I'll give you an example. When I started, Facebook Marketplace is not that popular. We don't advertise on Facebook Marketplace that much. Right. And back then it was more Kijiji, Craig, um, Craigslist. And that mm -hmm. was only like three, four years ago. It's not that long ago. And now I have seen more people with results on Facebook, say, for example, and even TikTok. I've seen a lot of investors on TikTok too. So it's constantly changing. Same thing as the market. It doesn't mean the market changes. You cannot do anything. You just have to pivot and do different things or structure your deals differently. Yeah. What about um, what about favorite brands or what brands do you like and, and why? You know, the funny thing is there's a lot. However, I look up to the entrepreneurs that started the company. There are certain products that I love. I love how certain people care. A big thing, I think, is authenticity. I think when Steve Jobs was still an Apple, he has a vision. And I think from iPhone 4 to 6 or after he died, it's very different. We still love it. However, I don't feel it's the same anymore. I think mm. they're just doing things differently to be different. I think when the brand equity was built is when he personally cared. He personally had the vision that all the devices have to be user-friendly. I, I still love Apple. However, I think it's different now. I love other brands as well because I looked up to the entrepreneurs that started it. Um, other brands I love, I love Nike and because I'm in the OEM industry. They don't make anything, but we love them because oh, they have so, a brand. Sorry, 
Sorry, I was just going to ask, you probably, um, some people might not know what OEM is, so perhaps. Oh, okay. Original equipment manufacturer. So of all the computer industry, um, of, of the computer brands I've worked with, I'm actually on the um, OEM side, meaning where the actual people behind it were just not the brand. So, uh, yeah. So just give you an example. I started, my first job is working for Acer Computer at the headquarters mm -hmm. so that was great as somebody's first job i've seen you know how they manage the whole world basically so it's amazing to have that opportunity however um as acer evolved i switched to the manufacturing side so work with other brands that use our manufacturing facility so basically you're helping them complete their vision of what they want to achieve Gotcha. So this is like uh, with Apple Foxconn, isn't it? There's the people that make the phones, but we all think we're buying an Apple phone, but it's actually Foxconn that built it. Yes. So. And just a side note, if everything is built in the States, Apple phone will cost the cost of making it will be over $2,000, which okay. won't make sense for us consumers. So same thing for other products, right? So the computer I'm using now or when we were talking about Nike, they have so many different SKUs, meaning they have so many different styles and they don't just have Foxconn, they also have backup, right? Mm -hmm. They have a second source in case something happens. So it's things like that. When I look at my day job, when I look at real estate, same thing, your brand is important. Who's making the most profit? People are <laughs> working their ass off in the factory producing the products and it's very strict. I actually look at people that work for us. It's so hard to, to you know, make that hourly wage. We're very strict on the quality. They have to produce so many. They cannot make mistakes. However, they have to be fast. They have to be experienced. They have to make no mistakes in the system. So it's, it's not easy. However, everything is behind the brand. Why can this product sell? Why does a spokesperson get paid so much? Because being them, they can sell the product. Yeah, so that's why brand is so important. Yeah, so back to your question. I love Apple, but I think it's because I love the vision back then. And um, other brands, I, I even like Tim Hortons. I think it's everywhere. We can depend on it. However, I admire what Starbucks does because my teenagers love Starbucks. They're willing to pay five, six dollars for a cup of ice. It's mainly ice. <laughs> when you ask them not to give you ice, it's probably half of the cup. Right. So it's amazing yeah. what they can do with the products right. they have and with the brands that they put out there. Yeah. I heard a great story about Apple and Steve Jobs. I don't know if it's actually true but it's such a great story and it would it would it wouldn't surprise me if it's true when the iphone was first being developed mm -hmm. he was sitting in a room with a bunch of the product development people and they had one prototype of the apple phone and he picked it up and he said it's not thin enough mm. and they said well that's the best we can do you know the uh, there's so he apparently in this conference room there was a fish tank and he walked over with the one prototype and dropped it in the fish tank. As it sank to the bottom, bubbles came up. He said, there is space because there's air. 
Wow. He said, go back and go back and make it thinner. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I, it doesn't surprise me that that would be his his approach because he really was fastidious about the quality and, and getting it absolutely right and, and design and everything else. But okay. Yeah. See, that's when that's why I look up to the entrepreneurs, not just the brands. And also Elon Musk, no matter what he does, like SpaceX, we're not gonna use a product, but we look up to him to realize his visions. It all seems so impossible. It all mm-hmm. seems like impossible if it's up to anybody else to do it or even envision it. I, I know there are stories about how difficult they are in person to work with, however, with their vision and what they're able to accomplish. And another brand I was going to say is Uber. Basically, they mm-hmm. don't have physical product themselves. However, if they can achieve that just with a brand, and they actually produced a lot of entrepreneurs by doing that. I've talked to a lot of Uber drivers. A lot of Uber drivers want to get somewhere else. However, this is something anybody can do, right? To get themselves started and work on your own time as well. And the fourth most popular episode for 2021 was with my original real estate investor client, Sarah Larby. Uh, This is episode number two. If you want to go back and listen to that, uh, Sarah gives some insights into how uh, in our working together over the last four years, uh, we've helped to progress from uh, being a corporate employee to um, quitting her nine to five job uh, in October uh, 2020 and uh, replacing her corporate income with uh, real estate investing additional uh, real estate investing streams of income, not from the real estate investing properties, that's completely separate, uh, but from other things around her coaching programs, uh, podcast sponsorship and things like that. Um, And here's an excerpt from that episode. Um, And then so I ended up booking a little cafe and did my first ever presentation. I was so nervous with like 25, 30 people. Um, Mm -hmm. A little meetup, you know, group started. And that's actually how, how it came uh, to life. And I realized that like, instead of me just doing it myself, you know, how can I share what I've been able to do so that other people can learn from it and do it themselves too, and hopefully retire and, and have a you know lifestyle that they want to have. And why um, you mentioned that your podcast is the best, best thing you ever, I think when we met, you might've had maybe five episodes. Maybe. Yeah, I was just, and, and the five episodes were very sporadic. I remember having this conversation with you, like, their podcasts, they should be like a little bit more timely, right? Like every week or every two weeks. Mine were just like a month here, maybe I'll skip a month. And then a random other day, I might release another one because I used to edit them myself and put it in all myself. And then even recording, like just looking back at the first few, the recording was done on my phone. It was horrible. But, um, you know, even just, just that cleaning it up and, and, you know, doing it correctly. I, mean, I don't know if there's a, a fully correct way to do it, but at least just to be more consistent with it um, and, and to have a better plan with it. I think you helped me a lot with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I ended up going to like this this um, wealth expo back in the day with like Tony Robbins and Pitbull. And one of the, the uh, breakout rooms was how to start a podcast. And I ended up uh, paying for that, you know, I think it was 500 bucks at the time course uh, to do it online. And I'm like, well, I paid for it. And if I pay for something, I want to take action on it. And I don't have that analysis paralysis. I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and see what happens. Right. I, d- I love that, that. 
I, I think a lot of people get caught up in, well, this has to be perfect and this has to be perfect. And I'm not doing anything until my logo is exactly right and the right. And what you did was just, okay, well, I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to see what happens and see. Yep. That's great right. advice. Happy fire aim is actually a motto that I do. And sometimes it gets me in trouble, but for the most part, it's helped me get to where I am today. Ready, fire, aim. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, so thinking about a, a new, newer real estate investor, what kind of advice would you give them about you know, branding and marketing? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, don't wait and have everything, all your ducks in a row before you do anything. But what else would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, in terms of a deal in general, like if you're if you're looking for some opportunity to to create a brand, I mean, share what you're doing, share it on social media, share it on LinkedIn. Um, if you're doing it professionally, you probably want something like a website to to be able to you know send people to rather than um, you know just an email or a Gmail or a Hotmail. Um, it, it really depends on what people are looking for. But I, I think just, you know, just get started. I mean, look at like when we started our, our website and you started helping me with the website, it doesn't even look the same as it used to, right? So things evolve, things change. Um, you know, done is better than perfect. I'm not a perfectionist, thank goodness. Um, and you know, yeah, I've made tons of mistakes and I'll tell you, you learn from those mistakes and then that's actually how you grow or how I grew the most is by, is by learning through trial and error. Um, and, uh, but, you know, from a branding perspective, um, you know, it, it was nice to be able to to work with somebody that's been able to, you know, help other people in different capacities. I know it's not specifically real estate related, but I, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I barely even know how to use Facebook right now. You know what I mean? Like Instagram, <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> but in in terms of the branding piece, I mean, I think part I think part of it is what helped me retire earlier, right? Because Yes, the real estate cash flow is great, and I try not to actually touch that. Um, and, and some of my income also comes from coaching, from uh, you know people reaching out to me because on my website we've got some different courses and that kind of stuff. And, and they say the average millionaire has more than one source of income, right? So like your real estate, it can be one source of income, even though I, right now I have you know fourteen units. And and yes, it, it can be the one and only. But you know if I want to make other sources of income somewhere else. Um, I think that, you know, creating a brand where you can provide services and, and different things like that will, will help boost it even faster. And, uh, and, and I think the other part of branding is, is being able to like create those connections. Um, if you're out there, you've, you've branded, you've got a website, you've got, you know, uh, a path and a plan, uh, the door is open so much, uh, for you. I mean, you know, even my podcast, just making sure that it's like more, you know, frequent and it's actually planned properly and it's and it's done well and it's out there. I mean, you know, I'm I, I look and I, I usually see myself in the top one hundred of, you know, the the business podcast and maybe the top fifty, uh, depending on the weeks of the the best investment podcast. But that gives you opportunities to connect with other people, uh, to, you know, people that you may not have been able to if you weren't out there more. Right. And is there was there anybody real estate Investing wise, that you looked up to in terms of individual personal brands, or not really in terms of personal brands. I always looked up to Don Campbell because he wrote a book, uh, a menu right. actually, and, and he was like, you know, the grandfather of, of Canadian real estate investing. Um, but I didn't, I don't even, I didn't even know what I what I didn't know. Right? It was like it was that crazy where 
Um, I didn't even know if people had a real estate brain because I wasn't even on Instagram back then. So, so now like there's, there's people that I'm like, Oh, I really like their content. But back in the day, I'm like, Paul, just, just help me. <laughs> what do I need? <laughs> <laughs> and what about uh, favorite brands? Do you have a favorite brand or brands that you look mm, at products the- or services that you kind of say, yeah, that's my brand? That's- I don't think so. I don't have like, like a one brand, like you're talking about like clothing or coffee or yeah, like it, that kind of uh, stuff. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, you're. I know you're an Apple user, so I mean, Apple is a brand. Yeah, Mac is good. I mean, I like the Starbucks that I go to. Um, I mean, I used to work at Lavazza, so of course, Lavazza, I like the brand <laughs> of coffee. Um, but I, I can't pinpoint necessarily, I think, one per se. Um, I mean, Balzac's does a great job, in my opinion, um, you know, from a local cafe standpoint. Um, and then, you know, real estate-wise... I think Heller Williams that actually does a really good job um, with their folks uh, and their branding and, and training. And that what, is, what is it you like about Keller Williams? What, what stands out? Well, Gary Keller wrote an awesome, actually he wrote a few awesome books uh, about real estate investing and the millionaire real estate investor. And I read that and, and just the mindset behind it. I also know that they get a lot of really awesome training and they, they take care of their people um, and I, so I think part of it goes back to culture, like culture is very important. Uh, and, and looking at back at my jobs, I mean, the reasons that, you know, other than the retirement one, um, but I've worked at, at great companies with, with great names, but if the culture internally is not there, I mean, I'm out. Um, and I'll tell you, Lavazza, um, you know, back in the day, it was, it was Mars, uh, the chocolate bar company, it was their coffee division, but they had a really cool culture. And I'll tell you, if it wasn't for me leaving to do my own thing, um, that it, like that company is great. But I've been, and I'm not going to name names, but I've been at other ones where it was just finger pointing. It was, you know, un, like just that whole like the, the coat of arms, you know, where you point right. things <laughs> to the other people <laughs> um, and negative and then that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, from a, a culture perspective, that's probably what I paid the most attention to is, is what brands have a really cool culture. Um, and, and part of it too, I think is because I've worked with a lot of B2B companies. So I'd go and meet with the HR managers of many different companies, um, selling them the coffee. And, and we saw some really cool places that are like, Oh, that, that seems like a great place to work. Um, and I think that does tie into their brand in some capacity too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where is the Sarah Lobby brand going? What are you up to? What, what are the new exciting things going on? Yeah, well, you're going to be helping me with this. <laughs> I need your help. Um, but we are building. So I bought some land, five acres waterfront. Um, and uh, we are building some tiny home lake houses on there um, in uh, in Kobokong, in the Kowarthas. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I think since I've, I've been able to leave my job, um, thanks to good branding, in addition to other things, um, I've been able to actually do things that I wouldn't have done before like build um, and, and actually buy land. So this is the second piece of land uh, that we purchased. Uh, the first one was in Lakefield, also in the Quarthas. Um, and we're building uh, me and uh, partners. So I have a, a builder partner um, and it's actually a mentor that I hired as well, Harry James. Um, and he's been in the business for like 30, 40 years, as well as uh, his, uh, his building uh, partner, Napa Valley Construction. And then together we're doing these really cool projects. But I wouldn't have been able to do this, I think, if I still had a full-time job. 
Um, and uh, it just allows me more time now to like really think through, okay, what's the next step and what are we doing? And I think this is going to be a super fun project. I'm hoping that you and I can work on, you know, really good PR and get it out there one way or the other. I want to record it, whether it's on YouTube for my own thing, or maybe we can get, uh, you know, some, uh, some news and, and some TV uh, stuff going on. Cause I think it would be a, a really cool process, something really different, but stay tuned, stay tuned on that. Cool. I just want to stop a second and ask you about your web presence. You know that people are going to Google and check you out online if they want to do business with you. And so it's incredibly important that you have a reliable, secure hosting web service and a stable hosting plan that provides fast site speed. And if you're installing a website for the first time, a nice, easy-to-use, secure, one-click system to install WordPress. That's why I recommend and use Bluehost, which powers more than 2 million websites online and is the number one recommended hosting provider by WordPress. It's got 24-7 support, which is really good, free security certificates, and a free domain name registration. Uh, Bluehost web hosting is a powerhouse. If you'd like to get a special offer through this podcast, go to the show notes from this episode, click on the Bluehost uh, image or link, and they'll take you straight there to get a special offer. Now back to the show. And rounding out the, the top five most popular episodes of 2021 for the REI branded podcast was uh, with Michael Heldmeyer. Uh, Michael is a, a Google uh, SEO specialist um, and does a lot of work around uh, Google advertising, Facebook advertising. Uh, really insightful uh, interview and discussion around how real estate investing businesses can use SEO uh, to get noticed. And uh, here's an excerpt from Michael's uh, interview. So this now is a little bit different than what I just said with Google My Business, where if I'm sitting in Niagara Falls, your Google My Business will likely not appear in, in Calgary um, if you're if you're doing a, a Calgary-based search. Having said that, if you have a, a local organic page that talks about how you can service the Calgary market, um, there are strategies and techniques to have that page actually appear on your, on your website to anyone in Calgary. So the website's a little bit differently, uh, a different part of me right. where organic search can be very, very important. Um, the, the second piece on organic search and plays back into content is Google owns YouTube. Google loves video. Google loves when you uh, are engaged in video content. And from a consumer standpoint, it makes sense too. There's nothing better than sight, sound, and motion to convey your brand, your narrative, why someone should consider you as a, as a potential partner, whether that's a joint venture or whatever have you. Um, so using video content, exceptionally important. And then you can actually, as you know, leverage it in more than one way. So post it to YouTube, leverage again for your Facebook and Instagram feeds and so forth. Um, the last piece I'll touch on is, is content with respect to blogging. Um, blogging in some respects has, has been overdone. In some respects continues to be very valuable. So when you think about blogging, I would suggest that you look at uh, two things. One, uh, Google Keyword Planner, if you're not using Google Keyword Planner, it can become your best friend. This is where you can identify search terms and questions that people are asking 
and the search volume that corresponds with that. So try to uncover what people are looking for from an information standpoint, and then creating blog content around that, that can be quite valuable. And you mentioned something uh, not to do, I think was the other, or you said there's two sides to the blog thing? Yeah, sorry, on, on the, the other part on, on blogging is, is just to be mindful that you're not creating something that uh, is, is necessarily already um, overdone, right? So um, what I find works exceptionally well with blogs and what Google tends to reward uh, are lists. So if you can think of a top five, top 10, um, if that is, is resident on uh, a landing page, and it's structured in such a way where there's actually bulleted lists, Google um, looks for that. Google also looks for short synopsis or summaries, uh, executive summaries, if you will. So it's almost like if you don't have time to read the blog, here's the gist of the blog in a few paragraphs. And if you put that up at the top of the page and also um, like midsection summaries on a page, that can be rewarded. Um, when I say some blog elements have been overdone, if you Google something that you're thinking about creating a blog for and you come across many other uh, blog authors that have have done something similar, I would just caution uh, spending time, energy, and effort um, because there are already indexed pages, likely links coming to those pages, um, and it would be a shame to put the time, energy, and effort in there. So it's more about what what unique content or what topic might you cover or topic could you cover in a slightly different way that perhaps isn't as um, as readily available and, and already published online. And video, is there any value in getting video transcribed? There, there is. So actually from, from a, an indexing standpoint within the video is important. Um, and also when you come, when you think about uh, Facebook videos, your, your feed itself is, uh, is, is silent, right? So if you've got something where you've got text actually on, on screen, from a video, or pardon me, from a Facebook feed standpoint, uh, is important. But yeah, transcription on video certainly helps. When you're uploading video content on on YouTube, think about your YouTube channel description. That's a critical piece, and the video description as well. So you want to make sure that you've got um, a well-rounded description for both. Um, keywording becomes important, uh, not from a keyword stuffing standpoint, that's where you can get into trouble or just simply not be rewarded. You want it to be, to be genuine, but, but make sure those descriptions are, are well-rounded. Okay. Great tips. Uh, so Facebook, tell us a little bit about what should we be thinking about in Facebook? Yeah. So Facebook, you had brought about, uh, you know, the boosted posts versus the campaign. I'm more of the mind that it's the campaign that you'll have a better, uh, return on investment. Uh, boosted posts are, are great when you want to create some aware, uh, quick awareness or reach. If you've got a piece of content, perhaps it's video, and it becomes a very timely uh, matter. That's where I find boosted posts um, do have some value. I would just be mindful that that shouldn't be the the only Facebook strategy. What's really powerful about a, a Facebook campaign is is actually creating, first off, creating your, your Facebook uh, business account. That's step one. Step two is then creating your Facebook ads account. Um, and the plumbing on Facebook isn't the, the most user-friendly. There's a lot of <laughs> helpful tools there, but it, it can be a little bit confusing. Um, but then running your campaigns out of the Facebook ad center 
will get you more uh, rich reporting and data on the back end. You can actually start to segment uh, campaigns and data coming back on all kinds of components from, you know, was it in Facebook, was it seen in Facebook feed, Instagram feed, Messenger, who saw it, what devices and so forth. And then you can start to get into some of those additional demographic datas. Um, you get some of that certainly on the, the boosted posts, but you get even more so in the ad center. And is Facebook really a pay-to-play platform? I mean, we are, are we really not expecting to get very far if we're just throwing stuff out there, but not paying to to play? No, I, I think Facebook can be you, you can be very successful with organic content, just like any social uh, channel. Um, it really becomes more about the the value you give to the end um, the the end user of that content, where you want eighty to ninety percent to be more about what what value or what free value is this content uh, giving uh, the individual and then you know 10 to 20 percent really uh, promotional or transactional where you're leading people which of course is the goal leading people to connect with with your brand um, but if you are active on on facebook if you are smart with your content um, you can be successful i do find that when things are are timely uh, that it tends to to resonate well and has the opportunity to be uh, picked up and, and shared more readily. What I like to do there is is a little trick going into Google Trends. Okay, so I hope you get a chance to listen uh, to the excerpts or uh, maybe even go back and listen to the full episodes. So that was the top five uh, listened to episodes of 2021 for the REI Branded Podcast. And then there's three episodes a little bit more recent a couple of them, and one that I I think everybody could benefit from as well. Um, so in no particular order, I would recommend that you go and check out these these interviews. Um, the first one is with John Nemo, uh, and it's all about LinkedIn. John provided some fantastic insights and uh, suggestions and tips. I would suggest you go back and listen to that. But uh, if you want to catch an excerpt, here's, here's a quick excerpt from John's uh, conversation with me. Right. That, that's a great place to start because the first thing on LinkedIn, whether you like it or not, if you have a LinkedIn profile, that's almost the guaranteed the number one search result if someone's looking at your name. So whether you like it or not, that thing is everywhere. So what does your profile look like? And the big mistake that 99% of people make, and you know this, Paul, is they have a LinkedIn profile that really reads like a resume. So it's written in the third person. It's about your company. It's about your jobs. It's about your roles. And the only problem with that that I've discovered is nobody cares. Right? Nobody cares about you, Paul. I'm sorry to break it to you. Maybe your mom does, but nobody else cares. And I have this quote on my desk. I'm actually looking at it right now from Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Wrote it in 1936. It's more true now than ever. It says, people do not care about you. They do not care about me. They care about themselves morning, noon, and after supper. So what I discovered and what you want to do with your LinkedIn profile, if you're a real estate investor, is really flip the script. Instead of having a LinkedIn profile that reads like a resume all about you, it needs to be all about how you can help this target audience solve a problem or get a benefit they want. So for example, here's a real quick, simple win, right? Basically, if you're a real estate investor and you're looking for partners 
equity partners, investing partners, whatever, your LinkedIn headline, which is right under your photo, typically most people are going to have their job title and company name like CEO, Nemo Media Group. And again, no one cares, right? Within two seconds, someone's going to see your invitation or your message and it has your photo and your LinkedIn headline. And they're going to look at that and go, well, why would I want to connect with the CEO of some company? What do I care? Instead, what I like to have for your LinkedIn headline right under your name is your target audience plus the service you provide. So what you could say is, if you're a real estate investor and say you want to court you know, different people to, to kind of partner with you, it could be real estate investing solutions for target audience. And maybe you want to... One of the other things with LinkedIn is the riches are in the niches. So what I always tell people, like if I was talking to a real estate investor and say, well, who, who have you already had as silent partners affiliates like, oh, I've had a lot of success getting physicians to invest with me. I've had a lot of success getting um, you know, entrepreneurs. So especially just here in Canada, I really focus here in Canada. So your LinkedIn headline could say real estate investing services and solutions for Canada-based physicians and entrepreneurs. Now, when we connect the dots, when you go out on LinkedIn and prospect, and by the way, LinkedIn looks like you know Google for leads, like the way that Paul got found is you can go into LinkedIn and type in, you know, physician in Canada and entrepreneur in Canada and connect with them and talk to them. And so if they get a message from you, a note from you, and it says, John Nemo, real estate investing solutions for Canadian-based physicians and entrepreneurs, if you're going to see that and you're going to go, well, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a physician, and I am curious and intrigued by real estate investing, I might want to look at what this guy has going on. See how targeted that is as opposed to CEO of company name, blah, blah, blah. And that's really the, the place we want to start. And in, in terms of, and that's great suggestion. So in terms of that first outreach, are you suggesting messaging or are you suggesting connect first? Right. So and we'll back up a little bit. So again, so that's your LinkedIn headline. And then the rest of your profile, we want to really, again, make sure that's client facing because that's why Paul landed that first client right out of the gate. And it's it's really following this format that talk about, you know, the first line of your LinkedIn profile, what I do, colon. And you say, I help, and you insert the name of a target audience, get a benefit they want by providing your solution or service. So if you're a real estate investor, carrying our example forward, I help Canada-based physicians and entrepreneurs grow their wealth and increase their um, investments by providing, you know, uh, real estate investing opportunities. Now, if I, again, connect with you, I see your headline, see that first on your profile, I am going to qualify myself and say, that's something I'm interested in. You look like the guy to talk to. So what I suggest is once you've got this profile client facing and it's all about what I do, who I serve, what makes me unique, different, better, instead of a resume, now I suggest you go out, you use LinkedIn search like Google B2B for leads. You find those exact people that you've tailored your profile to talk to. And yes, invite them to connect and then use one-on-one messaging. And I say this all the time, the money's in the mailbox. You don't have to do anything else on LinkedIn. Just (laughs) find people, connect to them, and then talk to them one-on-one. And we can get into that whole strategy. But again, that's it. At the end of the day, you've got to connect with people like human beings. So it's building relationships. It's building relationships. Building no like trust. It goes back to Carnegie. Yeah. Like, okay. If, if I walked in to have coffee with you, Paul, would I start by going, 
hey, Paul, I'd like to show you a prospectus of my latest real estate investment opportunities. And I would like to know what your uh, average investment uh, portfolio looks like and how much uh, percentage of that is in real estate investing. And I would like to set up a meeting to you know, do an intake and gather all your financial data. You would not start a conversation that way, right? In real life, talking to a human. You'd be like, hey, where are you from? Oh, you're from Hamilton. Okay. Or yeah, you know, I haven't been there before, blah, blah, blah. Or are you a fan of this team? Or I see you went to university here. Like you would actually talk to them like they're a human and break the ice. And so what you do with your one-on-one LinkedIn messaging is, again, when I look at your profile, I can see all the icebreakers. Where do you live? Where did you go to school? Uh, Some people will list hobbies and passions. I can see where you work. And so once you do that, again, yes, build some know, like, and trust, bring some personality in. And one of the things with one-on-one LinkedIn messaging that you'll notice is they want you to hyper-personalize it. You can insert funny animated GIF images. Uh, With the LinkedIn mobile app, you can do little selfie video messages or selfie uh, audio messages to your contacts, to your person on the other end. You can uh, attach images, right? So it's meant to be very personable and one-on-one. And then once you break the ice and once you start talking to people, uh, now we can pivot into the sales conversation. And the way that this works well on LinkedIn with one-on-one messaging is there's basically four key components. And here's the ideal one-on-one sales script for LinkedIn messaging. It's very simple. You say, curious, are you interested in blank? If so, I have a great free blank. If you'd like me to send it over, just reply yes or thumbs up. No worries either way. So let me break down that script. One is you ask a question. Curious, are you interested in blank? Are you interested in real estate investing? You ask about a topic, right? Because you're reaching out to a physician in Canada. You have no idea if they maybe are interested or not. So you need to qualify them. Again, this is the big mistake so many people make with LinkedIn is they just hammer people with links and content. And I'm sure you want to read all my prospectus. No, I don't. Like, ask me, right? So you say, are you even interested in this topic? And then you say, the reason I ask is, uh, I've got a great free blank, and that's a piece of content, a great free case study, a great free ebook, webinar, on-demand training that shows how physicians in Canada can get these benefits. And then the next part is, so part one, you ask a question. Part two, you offer something of value for free. Part three is you ask permission. If you would like me to send it over, just reply yes, or I use the thumbs up emoji. And that way, they are able to qualify and raise their hand. And then you take the pressure off with the final part and you just say, and if you're not interested, no worries, have a great one. Because you can circle back to them. Like that message format right there gets zero complaints. Nobody says I'm spamming you. Nobody says don't ever message me again. Because again, I'm being polite. I'm being friendly. I'm asking question. I'm letting you decide if you're interested. And if you say no, I'm saying no hard feelings. And kind of on the same theme, uh, another one of the three episodes that I recommend uh, you take the time to go back and listen to is episode number 39 with Scott Ayers on content marketing. Um, Scott provided some incredible uh, information, some research. He's really spent the time researching the success around content marketing and particular posting on social media. Uh, I think you'd benefit a lot in your real estate investing business would benefit a lot from taking the time to to listen to Scott's conversation and, and insights. Uh, and here's an excerpt from that episode. The algorithms do, and every social site has a different algorithm. Uh, and even within each social site, there are different algorithms. Like Instagram, for example, has an algorithm for stories, an algorithm for the feed, an algorithm for reels, 
an algorithm for IGTV and they're all independent and they all kind of impact the other one here and there. Uh, but the algorithm, what they do is, is, is they, what the sites, all the social sites pretty much have tried to do these days. And there's always arguments against it, um, is try to show you content that they think based on the algorithm that you would receive. So you keep coming back and you keep finding more content. Cause if you get bored, you're not going to open the app back up. Uh, and Facebook was probably one of the first to kind of introduce that. I remember when the newsfeed came out, um, they, they introduced the algorithm. I mean, we went from, if you remember, we went from like most recent posts. It was all on, you know, it was all in revert, you know, reverse order to this algorithm thing. And everybody was so mad. And of course, now you can still switch back and forth. Most people don't, though, uh, between most recent versus the algorithm. Because what you'll find, I know for me, I go to most recent and I don't enjoy it as much as the, the one that's actually the algorithm telling me. And so if Facebook doesn't know what they're doing. They're pretty smart. But that algorithm will help you, you know, like say for Facebook, for example, and they've changed it a lot, but it's going to show you the last, you know, let's say about 10 accounts or places that you've touched and engaged with. So if you've been active in a group, if you've been commenting on someone's, you know, personal profile or a business page, the next time you open the app back up or the desktop up, you're more likely to see content from them. But if I say like I never engage with you know Bobby's profile, eventually I'll stop seeing Bobby's content um, in, in my feed unless I go over and unless he comments on something of mine that it might pop back up. Um, that's the interesting thing. And the interesting about Facebook, to where it's different, and LinkedIn is probably a little bit similar um, on business pages. Engagement from people that aren't connected is important. You know, so you and I may not be friends on Facebook and we're, but you know, your engagement on, let's say a local realtors page has an, and I like the page too. Even if you and I are not connected, that engagement and that virality, um, will, could make that, that post show up in my feed because I like the page, even though you and I aren't connected. LinkedIn, uh, Instagram is totally opposite. Instagram's feed, it doesn't, you and I could follow each other. You and I can engage with each other. We can engage with different things. Our engagement does not impact the, you know, someone else's feed. On Instagram, it's all about you personally. So like whatever you're touching, whatever you're commenting on, that's what you're going to see. Um, and so it doesn't matter if you know, someone else is crazy active on you know, some account that we both follow. It's not going to make it show up for me. It's very, very personalized. Uh, for me only, and it's the same thing with the reels and the you know the stories. TikTok has done that really well, um, and I know realtors. There's probably there are some realtors doing well on TikTok. I've seen a few. Um, you don't have to dance on there either. You can do <laughs> business tips or show houses <laughs> or you know whatever. There's a lot more things you can do on there other than dance the songs. But TikTok's algorithm is probably the smartest one out there because it'll start to realize based on how what category of accounts that you're following and what sort of content that you tend to click that like on or follow. And that's all you'll start to see in your for you page, which is like stuff that it's just kind of out there versus what you follow. Like my wife is a kindergarten teacher and she's never been on TikTok. You know, she's never really cared for it, but her, her, some of her coworkers kept sending these funny videos of, of teachers and some, you know, tips and stuff. And so she's like, fine. So she signed up for an account. She's not never going to post on it. She's you know, going to be a lurker. Um, but she started following just these teacher pages. 
And her, her for you looks so different than mine. And that's all she sees is stuff that's related to what she chose to follow and engage with. Um, and, and that's the stuff that's pretty interesting. I think when it comes to the algorithms that you see so different from each one of them, um, uh, that they're figuring out, I think, you know, between TikTok and Instagram, I think there's two are, are the best, um, the rest of them, you know, LinkedIn sometimes has gotten a little bit better lately. Um, but I hate when you see stuff that's so old, it's a week old and it shows up the top of your feed and you're like, why am I seeing this now? Um, cause it started getting engagement and they pushed it back up, but it's so old, um, at that point and Twitter, who knows what Twitter does. <laughs> Twitter's a free for all and so, your, your posts are dead in 15 seconds sometimes. Um, does, yeah. does that underline the point that you hear from a lot of, I guess, experts or gurus is you need to be thinking about different content for different platforms. Yeah, you do yeah. see a lot. Yeah. You do see a lot of people posting the same thing across four or five platforms, right? right. And, and that's nat- is that. Yeah, I mean, it's natural to do that, you know, because you created something you want to get on everything. It's so it's okay to do that. Just mix it up and think a little different on each one because each one wants to see something different. You know, LinkedIn, you know, is more conversations on, on there than anything. Facebook, people just click like and move on. <laughs> You know, Instagram, people want to see stories, you know, you know, a lot more than they want to see stuff in the feed. And so you've, you've got to kind of play around with what, and you got to talk different on each of them too. Um, what The worst thing you can do is, you know, schedule your content out. And I do highly recommend using a tool to schedule your content because that makes you, you know, stay ahead of the game and, you know, organize. But <laughs> they'll do a, they'll tag someone or a page on Instagram or Twitter. And then they also post that to Facebook and it just has the at symbol in the middle of it. And it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't correlate. Um, so be right. careful doing that. And also I don't like, you know, when per people or brands um, post the same exact thing, the same exact time on all their accounts. Cause if I follow you on multiple accounts and I go LinkedIn, I go Facebook, I go Instagram all in like a 30 minute time period. And you've posted the same exact thing. It's kind of like, Oh man, you know, this isn't what real time we, I know it's scheduled, even though I work for a scheduling kind of company, but you know, it it doesn't feel as honest. And one of them, you're just going to, you're not going to engage with all three of them, but if you space it out or rotate it, or, you know, maybe you're only, you, you got it shuffled where, it's a day or two later after the other one, uh, right. but it's so easy just to push that button, I think, and send it everywhere that we want to do that a lot. And just to round out the the three episodes that I recommend you take some time to to listen to, go back and listen to, um, is the episode 36 with Amy Ransdell around hiring a VA. I've had lots of great feedback from people who are on this one. Uh, it is an area of uh, continuous challenge for entrepreneurs and small business owners and real estate investing business owners around you know, delegating tasks, finding help, and uh, some of the suggestions and ideas that Amy had around hiring VAs, and, and she works for a company that specializes in providing real estate investing-focused VAs, uh, I'd really uh, strongly advise you to go back and listen to the full episode, but you can catch an excerpt now. And when should somebody start thinking about working with a VA? 
Oh, ooh, I got that question from someone yesterday. And I love this question, but I nobody ever loves my answer. Um, so <laughs> they don't. Okay. Good. So my, my answer is everyone should have a virtual assistant and everyone should start with one really early in your business. But the reality is that not everyone is of the mindset yet to do that. And the reality is also that they um, uh, just may not financially re- be resourced at a level that they can. But I always tell people, the earlier that you can adopt the mentality, um, the earlier that you can adopt the uh, mentality of, sorry, um, of um, outsourcing to someone to be able to scale and do more and be more efficient with your time, right? The earlier you're going to have greater results, you're going to less likely hit that plateau that we've talked about a couple of times. So I always tell people invest early and having help. And they're like, well, I don't know what to have them do yet. I don't even know what I'm doing yet. Well, it's not that hard if you do the process I just talked through about going through all the things that you're doing, work with a coach if that's necessary. I always, I believe in that highly early in the process um, so that you can start scaling fairly soon, right? Um, otherwise, because here's the thing, <laughs> I see this with agents a lot, right? They want to have, you know, six figures plus an in income their first year as an agent. But then they go off and they're doing $10 and $15 an hour activities all day. They're making social media posts. They're, you know, they're writing blog content. They're, they're doing things they could outsource, but then get really frustrated when 12 months go by and their income, their bank account looks like someone who makes $10 an hour, right? I mean, the reality is that's where you spent your time. And so the earlier that you can really recognize that and realize the value of handing those things off, it's well worth it. In fact, I've encouraged even coaching clients, you know, get a, get a small business loan, get a credit card, do something to start the process of leverage early on. Hmm. Um, I think you've spoken to you know, what you decide to delegate. Um, I find, I, I, so I, I, I kind of taking a step back, I've had VAs for a number of years, but you know, just for certain projects or for certain small elements of tasks, but never full-time, full-time. Uh, and I finally made that decision after 15-plus years running my own business about a year ago, hiring a full-time VA. And I thought, well, how am I going to fill their eight hours? And how am I going to control all this? And how am I going to oversee everything that they're doing? And that, that was a big learning lesson because – what I found was I wasn't delegating, I was directing. Oh. And the difference between when you're directing is you're still checking everything. And you're yes. not, there obviously has to be an element of building trust and everything. But how, how does the real estate investor or the agent overcome that, you know, yeah. mindset around, you know, really honestly delegating and saying, great. Go do it. And I think this is a great segue from the last question. So I do want to add one clarification to the last question. And that is that, you know, if you have no experience managing anyone, then I wouldn't say necessarily hire a VA right away, because this leads to this question you just answered or just asked, right? Um, and the other thing about when you're, how early on do you get a VA? Well, are you committed to the business you've committed to? That's the other question. If I was their coach, I would say, no, don't hire a virtual assistant. If you're not 100% absolutely committed and willing to do whatever it takes to get the results you said you want, because that's, that's where people will go wrong. Like they're not really committed. And so they hire a VA and then they don't, the VA doesn't do well for them because they're not working with the VA well. And then the VA 
it, it doesn't work out. And then we don't have, you know, retention with the VA. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But if you're really committed and you know how to work with people, then I say get one right away, very early in the process. You know, the first couple of quarters is probably good timing. The um, the flip side of the question that you just asked, right? Um we see oftentimes that people will do two things. One is that they just don't get out of their own way. Okay. Get out, get out of your own way. And, right. And, and it's okay, by the way, to have the belief that a virtual assistant could potentially just possibly do it better than you. Oh my goodness. Do you know how hard it is for people sometimes? No, to just, oh, Amy, no. Oh, right? They're like, no, no, no. I, I can only, I'm the only one that can do that. Well, that's not true, right? And and here we have these people. I, I have uh, Ron and I have three VAs that support our team. And uh, Ron and Oz, I, I refer to them a lot because they're just, they're powerhouses all on their own. Like they make decisions. They're, they're highly educated, <laughs> amazing individuals. And I just, I had to, I, if I let go, they take over. Right. So um, and oftentimes they, again, do it better than me because it's things that I'm having them do that I would normally procrastinate on, not enjoy, maybe not enjoy because I'm not highly skilled at it. Right. We, we play to our strengths, not our weaknesses, people. So go hire the people to, to fill in for your weaknesses and then let go and let them do it and, uh, and, and treat them like employees where we do still grow them, affirm them. Right. Coach them, lead them. You're still their leader right? And you're there to measure results and measure performance, but you're not there to just hire contract work where you're right. You're just checking off the boxes. Okay. And so there's Upwork and Fiverr and companies like that, where you can hire someone to do contract work, but then you're right. You're still heavily involved with that. Guess what? I hire contract work from outside companies sometimes, but I have my personal full-time virtual assistant manage that for me. I let him direct it versus me, right? Okay. So that wraps up my suggestions for episodes to listen to Uh, from last year and I look forward to providing even more value and insights for your real estate investing business in 2022 and it leads me to say have yourself a brandtastic day. Well what did you think? Was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business and real estate personal brand? So what's stopping you? Get to it. And if you're wondering where your real estate personal brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free real estate personal brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have yourself a brandtastic day.